Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly sermon podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. It is such a, it's such a just tremendous thing to have Matt and Alicia here. Um, I don't know if you said this, but you guys are leaving June 6th. That's really close. And uh, they're taking their four kids and starting a whole new life in, in Spain. And, uh, you know, we want to be their prayer support and uh, financial support for them as they do this amazing work. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Spain in a minute. Um, in the last number of months, I've been trying to get you to understand that if you will reframe your life by the gospel then things in your life start to make sense. And you begin to have an outlook on life that gives you an overcoming attitude and spirit. But if you frame things according to like earning and performing and trying to figure out, you know, am I worthy? Am I, you know, am I good enough? Am I You know, are my gifts enough? Are my abilities enough? If you frame it that way, you will always be insecure and without peace. But the gospel speaks into every one of our lives and says, hey, you are part of a bigger story. You may not be going to Spain or you may not be going to the Holy Land, but your mission is a gospel mission wherever you are. That whether you're you know, sweeping the streets or working in a store or you're a lawyer, a doctor, a teacher, whatever it is, that your primary calling is to live out of your gospel acceptance and out of your gospel identity wherever you are because you are contributing to something so amazing that God is doing and you're an important part of his plan. And so when we... When we have this understanding and we're living out of our gospel identity, Jesus speaks to us in some of his last words to his disciples, and he said, go and preach the gospel to the whole world. And so the idea isn't simply to live a moral life. It's not simply to live in a way that is righteous. It is more the idea to live from the place of the story of Jesus in your life, to live from the place of what Jesus has done for you, and then for that to spill out into every area of your life, from the way you manage your money, to the way that you manage your time, to the way that you start talking to other other people. And it's not a life of duty, it's not a life of obligation, but rather... It's a life of experience, reality of experience with the Holy Spirit. When I was just a high school student, I started having this kind of burden to share the gospel with my friends, but I had no idea how to do that, and my church wasn't really into that kind of thing, but I had this personal burden as a 16, 17-year-old to share my faith with my friends. And... I, I, the only thing I knew of were these tracks. 
And they were called chick tracks. And they weren't about, they were by this guy named Chick. It wasn't, they weren't chick tracks like chick flicks, but they were chick tracks. And if you ever saw them, they were like comic book things. And they, they were basically, the, the, the purpose of the chick track was to scare you out of hell. And so these comic things were like showing you what it would be like in hell and all this stuff. And, and I was handed that out to all my friends. You can imagine, I, I led millions to the Lord with, with those things, you know. I led no one to the Lord. I mean, it was, so, it was such a fascinating thing, but I had this, it, I had this you know, like a feeling of obligation. I got to do something. And, and the focus that I have wasn't so much gospel as it was this idea of duty or obligation. I'm supposed to do this. And so instead of, instead of really sharing or preaching the gospel, I was just muddling things. I was just, in a way, saying, you're not moral enough. You know, you're not, you're not good enough. And, you need, you know, and so what was happening is instead of hearing the gospel... People were hearing, I, I need to do better. I need to be a better person. And so what's happened to many of us is in trying to preach the gospel, we've actually not preached the gospel. We've criticized. We've complained. We've been very negative in our critiques. Can I just kind of provoke your thinking for a minute? If somebody by nature is a sinner, aren't they going to sin? If it is your nature to sin, do you know anything else but sin? So those of us who are angry all the time, people are doing by nature what their nature tells them to do. And so if all we're ever doing is criticizing and complaining about what sinners do, basically we're saying you need to be a better brand of sinner or a better class of sinner which is not the gospel so as we're thinking about this whole thing of gospel mission being a gospel mission church or a gospel mission person an essay by tim keller really uh i would say really inspired me and i hope it will inspire you so I want you to think about this with me. So the gospel is the remedy for everything. It can help us get over our own geographic self-centeredness. Now, there's a, there's a way of looking at news that's so interesting to me. So if a, one person in your neighborhood or my neighborhood drowns, that becomes local news number one. We used to say first page news, but nobody reads the newspaper. So, But that's like first page, front page kind of news. But if 100,000 people are drowning in some faraway land, it may not even make the news because we're only interested in what's local. We're only interested in what happens to us. But what the gospel says is that 100,000 people matter to us. They matter deeply to us. Why do they matter? Well, they matter because Jesus, who was so near to God, was cast far away from God so that we who were so far away from God would be brought near to God. 
You see, that's, that's the picture you have to see. That's the gospel picture. Is Jesus so near, one with the Father, gets cast far from the Father, even rejected by the Father, so that we who were far from the Father might be brought near. And what that means is those who are far from us matter. Not, not just because they matter to us, but because Jesus says they matter to him. You who were so far from God mattered to Jesus so much that he left his nearness to be separated from God for you. And so the whole of the gospel mission is all centered around Jesus bringing those who were far near. And so that, what it does, is, and, and this is not easy for a lot of Americans because we're very American-centric. Our tendency, especially, there's a lot of studies right now that's saying because we live in uncertain times that we are reverting back to our own tribes. So because there's a feeling of threatenedness or a feeling of loss or there's these insecurities, people are starting to bond together again in their own cultures. They're beginning to fight and compete against others on the basis of ethnicity and culture. Well, do you understand that once you come into, come into union with Christ, you are Christ culture people. You are kingdom people, and your tribe is no longer whatever your ethnicity was. Your tribe is your eternal family of God. We are one another's collective. We are not biologically so. We are not in many ways sociologically so. But Jesus has taken us supernaturally who were far from one another. And he has made us brothers and sisters. See, this is, it's not simply that you go to a church. You are the church. And in being the church, you are a spiritual family. And you and I belong to each other. And there needs to be a sense that we understand that it's not just our affinity, it's not just our experiences with one another, it's especially not our biology, but because we are in Christ, we are one with Christ, and therefore one with another. And so when we see people who are lost people, who are far away, either in other lands or in other cultures, we don't immediately put up our walls. We don't put up our walls at all. We say, that's our mission. <laughs> I, I know this is simplistic, but I either, say, I, I, I either say with people, either you are on mission with me or you are my mission. Come on. Because if you're family, we're on mission. And if you're not yet family, you are the mission. Because Jesus said, anyone who is far away can be brought near. Come on, that's pretty. Are you, guys, are you guys are making me do all the work here this morning. <laughs> are you tracking with me in this? You see, it, we're not talking about obligation. We're not talking about duty. We're not talking about have to, should do. We're talking about who we really are in the gospel. And what has really happened to us in the gospel. So those who are far from us matter to us. 
And I'm talking about far, you know, not just that they're far away geographically, though that's a reality, but those in some ways that we have no connection with in terms of family or in terms of race or ethnicity or culture, that God, is, God has torn down those walls so that we who were far away might be near. And that's the essence of the gospel. So today, I, wanna, I want to talk to you about three things of the gospel dynamic. And I, I want to frame it around three words. Okay, again, I'm a recovering Presbyterian, so there's always three. And there's, this time, I, I think I have three T's, okay? So I'm going to have the three T's of the gospel dynamic. So I, we want to talk about the truth of the gospel, want to talk about the transforming power of the gospel, and then the transcendence of the gospel. So would you say that with me? Truth, Truth. transformation, Transformation. and transcendence. Now, the reason I use the word transcendence is because I went to seminary, I paid a lot of money, (laughs) and every now and then I got to use those big words just to, you know, justify all of that expense. So now transcendence is actually an awesome word. Um, Transcendence is a word that simply means this. It's above. It's over. It's beyond. It's other. And so a lot of times what you and I you know, hear a lot of is the nearness of God. And that's a wonderful thing, how close God is, how near to us he is. But there's also an aspect of both God's character And there's an aspect of the gospel where it's so much bigger than us. It transcends, like my heritage biologically is half French and half Irish. So there's an eternal fight between Guinness and really good food (laughs) with inside of me, you know. And the French are always surrendering, so I don't know. To the Guinness, I should say. But uh, so, 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 transcendence is in Christ. It's not that I'm not French and Irish. It's just who I am in Christ is other than French and Irish. Is greater than. Is beyond that. And so, what I'm trying to, I, I really would love all of you to see, is that though it's good for you to be grounded in the reality of of you know, your background, your family, all those things are important. But God is calling you beyond. He's calling you to other. And the gospel is other. It's transcendent of anything this world has for you. And so we're going to look first at this truth of the gospel. Oops, oops, went too fast. Of the gospel dynamic. So the Greek word gospel, it's euangelion. It, it, it distinguishes the Christian message from any other religion. An evangel was news of a great historical event, such as a victory in war or the ascension of a new king. And, and, and the news changed the listener's condition and always required a response from the listener. So what is this news that we are to proclaim that not only has changed our life but requires a response from others? Well, it's simply this. God has entered the world in the person of Jesus Christ to achieve a salvation that we could not achieve for ourselves. And so this is why, you see, 
It's more than just you live out the gospel. You have to also be able to share with others what the gospel means to you as good news for you, but also something that you can share in a way that people can respond to. Because you don't want them just to have a belief about God. You want them to have a personal relationship with God. And and so the gospel is not advice on what we must do to reach God. Rather, the gospel converts and transforms individuals, forming them into a new humanity, and eventually will renew the whole world and all creation. This is the good news. Now, I'm going to kind of shift back and forth between truth and transformation and transcendence, but I, I don't know why I didn't really know this until the last couple of years, but it has kind of, I guess this truth has broadened my understanding of the purpose of the gospel. So, so you know, in the, in the Garden of Eden, God created man and woman for a purpose. They, had, they were called to have dominion. They were, they were called to be stewards and governors of the whole world that God had created. That God delegated to them his place, in a way, as, as the governor of the world. Put them in this position of, of authority and power and, and, and actual being able to, to take care of the garden. And by sin entering to the world, everything veered off course. The earth itself became difficult. Labor, work became lift, difficult. Childbearing became difficult. Death entered the world through sin. Sickness entered the world. All of these things are a result of that original sinful decision to say, I won't find my happiness, my fulfillment, in my spiritual life with God, but rather I'll find my happiness by satisfying my personal appetites and I'll find my life in my, in my physical reality instead of in my spiritual reality. And so what the New Testament speaks of, and for some reason very few teachers or preachers I ever knew ever talked about this, but the New Testament says that God is creating a new humanity. Not a humanity divided by race, not a humanity divided by talents or abilities or how pretty or handsome someone is, but a new humanity that is going back to that original purpose of, and will have its fulfillment in a new heaven and a new earth. <laughs> you know what most people ask me the first question? You're a pastor, right? Let me ask you a burning question. Will there be dogs in heaven? I'm like, that's your biggest question? And I always go, yes, of course. Because I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I, dogs are so wonderful, I think they should be. So I'm praying for the Moronis to have a dog, you know? <laughs> I love my dog and stuff. But I think everything here will correspond to everything there. That the little, that in a way, that which gives us great pleasure here is only a taste of the pleasures to come. And that anything that satis- is satisfying or fulfilling here is only a taste. Because you see, when we are in the presence of God, we will drink from the fountain that these are only dim glimpses of. All right, I know it's early, but that was one of my most brilliant statements in a while. <laughs> Because I stole it from C.S. Lewis. But hey, 
Track with me in this, even though it's early in the morning. So the, the bigger story of your life is not how well you're doing at your job. The bigger story of your life is not who you're married to or who your kids are or any of those things. The bigger story of your life is you are a part of God's new beginning of a whole new humanity. That Maybe people didn't preach or teach on that because it's too big. It's audacious. It's, it, how, do, how do we even wrap our minds around that? That God would choose us to be the remaking of humanity, and yet that's exactly what the Bible says. So here's a truth that is transcendent. Your life isn't just you surviving. It's not you just struggling. It's actually you getting a glimpse of the gospel now and saying, I'm the beginning of a whole new humanity. And guess what that whole new humanity will be? Every tongue, every tribe, every nation, it will be every, everybody represented, and you're the representative that's been called into this new humanity right now. That's the truth of the gospel. And so for us, I think what the enemy does is he tries to get us so focused on how broken we are and how failing we are and how difficult things are, and we don't see the transcendent story that we're a part of. Or he gets us focused on being Americans and against the rest of the world and, or Christians and against everybody else instead of saying, the Lord is grafting us into a whole new humanity that's going to be of every tongue, every nation, and every tribe. While someone might be the enemy of America, they're not the enemy of the gospel. They're the mission of the gospel. And that has to change the way. It doesn't mean we're not good Americans. I'm not saying that. But I'm not primarily an American. I am primarily a citizen of heaven. Because America will pass away. But the heavens will not. And that's our permanent citizenship. And I see sometimes people seeming to put their citizenship of this earth above their citizenship of the world to come. All right, you can be mad at me about that. That's all right. I'm all right with that. So here's, here's one of those truths, is that the gospel is the good news of the gracious acceptance of God that comes not from earning, but by receiving. So Jesus lived the life you and I should have lived. He paid the penalty we owe for the rebellious and apathetic life of, with God that we do live. He did all this in our place. We're not reconciled to God through our efforts or record, as in all other religions, but through his efforts and through Jesus' record. If you're being attacked right now by the enemy saying you're not good enough to be a part of this new humanity, you're not worthy, uh, who would love you? Here's what you do. is You say, you're absolutely right. But it's not my record. It's Jesus' record. Have you ever had a resume? And you, you went to interview for a job and you put, gave your resume or you applied for college or whatever and you put your, your record out there, your transcript, whatever it is. From now on, Never have your own transcript. From now on, never have your own record. 
from now on, never, ever show your resume because your resume will not get you anywhere. But if the enemy comes and says, you're not good enough, you're like, you're right, but here's my resume. It's Jesus's resume. Oh, you'll never, you'll never be worthy of love. You're absolutely right. But here's Jesus's transcript. And you see, he cannot, he cannot, and will not keep accusing you if you'll keep putting up Jesus's record when you're accused. Because you see, you've got to believe that he substituted for you. Now, the reality of that, the truth of that is already true. That's what the cross is. That's what Jesus was saying when he said, it is finished, the debt is paid. The written record of your life was nailed to the cross, and the written record of Jesus' life is now on every page of your life. But you have to decide in a very personal way, that's the record I'm going to show. I love today. I, I love today we're singing that song, I Raise a Hallelujah, because I love what that means. When you hallelujah something, it basically says, I boast in. And when you add Yah at the end, I boast in Yahweh. I boast in God. In other words, I don't show you my record and boast in my record. I show you Jesus' record and I boast in his record. Because you see, you are called to be 100% humble, which means you don't live by your record, you live by his. But you're also called to be 100% bold and confident, which also means you don't live by your record, you live by his. And that's the truth, whether you want to believe it or not. The truth is absolutely legally established by Jesus for you. Now, can you hear me? So here's the deal. Christians who trust in Christ for their acceptance with God, rather than their own moral character, commitment, or performance. Now I'm going to get really, I'm going to do Latin on you here, all right? Are simul justus et peccator. So it means, it means that at the same time, you know that you are sinful, you're broken, that there's nothing in you that's acceptable to God. And yet, because of Christ, at the same time you are absolutely honest about your own brokenness, you're absolutely confident in your own acceptance. This is the key of the gospel. The key of the gospel isn't simply that you know that you're a sinner. It is that you also know that you're graciously accepted. And those two things have to be going on in your life at the same time. Or what will happen is you'll have a kind of fake humility and you'll have a false confidence. Whereas you can have an incredible security that leads to an incredible confidence. We are more flawed and sinful than we ever dared believe, yet we are more loved and accepted than we ever dared to hope. So, again, I, I know I hammer this, but I, I, I got to tell you, most Christians have a mixture of grace and works. So the idea is kind of, I get saved by grace, but then I got to work. And when you do that, what happens is you destroy grace because either it's all grace or it's no grace. 
or it's all works and it, or no works on your part. So if I think I have a relationship with God because I live morally according to his standards, it does not move me to the depths to think of my own salvation because I earned it. So now I think God owes me. See, when I think God owes me because I earned it, then there's no joy, there's no amazement, there are no tears. I'm not being transformed from the inside. I'm just conforming on the outside. And then there's also people, on the other hand, that think they have a relationship with God because the divine just embraces us all, no matter how we live. You see, if, if, if I just believe God has to forgive me because, because he just has to forgive me, then I'm not really moved to death because it's not cost him anything to forgive me. And Voltaire had this attitude on his deathbed where he said, of course God forgives, that's his job. That's not a very good thing to say on your deathbed. (laughs) See, any effort that we use, whether it's God has to forgive me no matter what, or God has to accept me because I've earned it, any effort to take away the idea of Christ's substitutionary atonement and then replace it with some kind of earning my own acceptance robs the gospel of its power to change us from the inside out. This is, a, this is such an important truth. You see, the more you realize that your acceptance is absolutely certain is the only way you'll ever be truly honest about how deeply broken you are. You see, if you're still questioning, have I earned enough acceptance? Have I earned enough of God's approval? Then you you see, you're going to have to lie about how sinful you actually are because you're going to have to cover up your sins. You're going to have to fake it till you make it. You'll do all the external things, but you'll never have really transformed from the inside out. See, the whole purpose of the gospel is not to clean you up but to heal you from the inside out. The purpose of the gospel is not simply so that you have greater willpower to make better decisions, but rather the purpose of the gospel is to replace the broken heart within you that cannot trust God or anybody else. And until you know that you're safe, until you know that you're accepted, you'll always keep a mask up so that nobody can reject you. So nobody can disapprove of you. And so what, what the gospel does is it allows you to go, I am utterly and completely under the record of Christ. There's no more punishment towards me. There's only acceptance from God. And it's all of grace. It's not something I earned, but it's something he has given to me. And then you can go, now I can really look at my life. And you know what? It's so powerful. And I see it. I see it in people who do not grow in the gospel is they're still blaming the world for all their problems. They're still blaming their parents for all their problems. They're still blaming the past for all their problems. You understand, as long as you're blaming external sources, you do not change. So you have the truth of the gospel that is never going to change. Whether you accept it or not, it's true, it's historical, it's a reality. You don't, the great thing is, when you believe, you're not making it true. It's true, therefore you can believe it. But on the other hand, if you're not making it your reality, 
then it's not transforming you from the inside out. This is why in the 18 years that I've been here, and and you are my guinea pigs, I've said we welcome messy church because everybody I know is broken. You can't live in this world and not be broken. And some of us, our brokenness is toxic. And some of us, our brokenness is really hurtful to others. And some of us, our brokenness has been sophisticated into a way that we have a very, very well-crafted mask. And we get acceptance. But here's the deal. If you're getting acceptance for a counterfeit you, then your heart knows nobody knows you. Therefore, your heart says, that's not really love. It's only really acceptance if it's acceptance of the real, broken, and yet transform, transforming power in you. And so without the gospel, you have, you have, in a sense, religious activity. And when we have religious activity, we're basically Christmas trees. Now, why do I say that? Because every Christmas tree is already dead. It, it's cut off from its life. And what do we do? We decorate them. We look pretty. And, and, and of course, by the time Christmas is over and stuff, if you have a, lot, have a formally live Christmas tree, eventually you're going to have nothing but needles all over your living room. But you'll still have lights on it. You'll still have decorations and stuff. And I know this because Lisa is a Christmas, you know, fanatic. I have a whole storage container just for her Christmas stuff, you know. And so you'll have this beautiful tree, but it's dead. And what the gospel says is, we're not going to decorate the tree. We're going to give life to the tree. And that, that, that's the whole heart of the gospel, you see, is it's not just to decorate a dead tree and make it look pretty. It's to give life to the dead. Now, I see that I have to talk fast. Are you, are you with me a little bit here? So, all right, here's, here's here, okay, John's going to play music, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep talking because I am the pastor. So, uh, so here's the thing. You do not get saved by believing the gospel, and then you grow by trying hard to live according to the biblical principles. Believing the gospel is not only the way to meet God, believing the gospel is the only way to grow in him. So Christ's life comes into us by the Spirit. This is the transformation and shapes us into a new kind of person, part of that new humanity, that bigger story that you're a part of. And it's not just a truth that we affirm with our minds. It's also a reality we must experience in our hearts and our souls. Now, why, why am I going on about this? Because even the way we look at missions, even the way we look at, at giving to the church or giving to missions has got to take on a gospel framework. So listen, listen for a minute what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. He, he, he's asking the people for an offering. And he's asking people who are far away from one another to give so that they might see these faraway people come near. And so in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he says, he basically says, I need you to give this offering. These people are in a terrible state. 
They're your brothers and your sisters. They're far away from you. They're a different culture. They're a different background than you. But I want you to love them like they're near. And he says, I, want, I don't want to order you to do this. You see, this is, this is where the gospel changes everything. He doesn't want them to give it out of guilt. And he doesn't want them to give it out of obligation. He doesn't want them to give it out of the wrong motives. Now, please understand this. I am never going to check your motives. I'm just going to take your check. Because I'm not God. I can't see your motives. But Paul's saying, look, friends, we want to do this differently than anybody's ever done it before. We want to do it not out of an, a transaction with God saying, God, I gave you this much. You better give me this much. Or, 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 or out of obligation, oh, God's going to zap my money if I don't give it. But rather, Paul says, I want this offering to be a response. And the way that he, he explains it is he doesn't put pressure on their will, saying, I'm an apostle and this is your duty. Nor does he pressure their emotions, telling them you know, stories about how much the poor are suffering, how much more this group has than the sufferers. Instead, here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8. He says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That's the gospel. Then he says, you know the grace He's using a powerful image. He's bringing Jesus' salvation into the realm of money and wealth and even into the area of poverty. He moves them by a spiritual recollection of the gospel. Paul is saying, think on his costly grace. Think on the grace until you are changed into generous people by the gospel in your hearts. Let me just end with this verse. So the gracious acceptance of God for those who are far away. Look at Romans 10, 12. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? See, this is, this is what's so powerful about the truth, the transformation, and the transcendence. Is that we're not called to do something out of duty. You're not failing as a Christian because you're not giving enough or you're not generous enough. But rather, you see, he's saying, look at Look at what Christ has done for you. Look at the grace in your life that God, Christ himself was willing, though rich, to make himself poor so that you could be rich. And then he says, isn't there a heart change coming on in your life where you're saying, I want others who are far away to be brought near so that my money belongs to the Lord, my time belongs to the Lord, my voice belongs to the Lord, because whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how will they call on his name unless someone tells them? And how will someone go and tell them unless they're sent? 
And so that's why we wanted to take this day and say, not just Mission Sunday, but Gospel Missions Sunday. That we who have been brought near want to see those who are far also brought near. And we who in this room are different cultures, different different backgrounds, different ethnicities, who have become a family, not by our own will, but by the will of God. We who were far from one another, but now say, but I am near. You're my brother. You're my sister. I belong to you. You belong to me. How can that happen? Except for Jesus, who was taken far away so that we could be brought near. I want you to think about this today and to make a step in in that direction of saying, Lord, my money belongs to you. Lord, my time belongs to you. My voice belongs to you. I'm recollecting the grace that has been shown to me. Will you stand with me? Look, I, I, I wanted to spend a few minutes. I, I've run out of time, but, but when it comes to the gospel, there's, a, there's an objective reality, okay? The, the facts of the gospel are right there in the scriptures for you. You're a sinner. Jesus wants to be your savior. He isn't trying to clean up your act. He died in your place. He's not asking you to be moral. He's asking you to follow him. He wants not only you to realize your sins are forgiven, but he wants you to realize his resurrection life is inside of you, living inside of you. And his, the very same spirit that anointed Jesus for his ministry now indwells every believer. Not a lesser spirit, not less of the spirit, but the exact same spirit indwells you. But in some ways, it's about framing everything now, saying, I'm a gospel person. We're a gospel church. We're a gospel mission. I have a gospel identity. And you begin to realize you can trust him with money. You can trust him with your time. You can trust him. But one of the things that, one of the things that happened to me is, is growing up in the church, I always had this, this heart for people overseas and people of different cultures and races. But I remember this one night, I was in Cali, Colombia, and I was preaching to about 600, 700 people. And when it was over, I asked if anyone wanted to come forward for prayer. 300 people came forward for prayer. I was like, I'm gonna be here all night. Because it was just me. But as I started praying, all of a sudden my Spanish got better than it's ever been in my life. I could hear everything they were saying and I could say everything I needed to say. And praying in another language is the hardest thing. And every person I prayed for got filled with the Holy Spirit. Many people got saved and every person who had uh, an illness was instantly healed. Never seen a night like it before. Never seen one like it since. But here's what it felt like. The needs of the people were being met by the compassion and gracious acceptance of Jesus and he let me be the instrument through through which his healing came. It wasn't because of faith, but there was tremendous faith in that room and there was tremendous presence. This, 
this big drug dealer pushed his way. He was a narco-traficante. He pushed his way through the crowd, and he came up to the front and says, this Jesus that I see here tonight is the Jesus I want. And he knelt down, and he gave his life to Christ right there. Changed him forever. See, there's a there's an objective reality. This is the gospel. But then there's a subjective experience where you say, work this in me. Work this in us. Make it real. So that we live this out. We just don't give lip service, but we live it out. So I'm going to ask you, would you bow your heads? Close your eyes for a minute. If you want to go deeper into the gospel mission for your life, if you want to live out of this gospel identity, would you make a commitment to the Lord today? Would you, as a child of God, would you reach up to your father with both hands? Just forget anything that would hold you back. And would you recollect in this moment the grace that has been shown to you? You who are far away have been brought near. And as you reach up to him, you may not be at the place where you say, I'm going to go share my faith with my friends, or I'm going to go to another country, or I want to step into ministry in a new way. You might not be there yet, but all you have to say is, Father, I'm willing. Father, I'm willing. I want to live out of my gospel identity. I want to fulfill my gospel mission. I want to see those who are far away brought near. And how will they be brought near unless someone preaches to them? So I'm asking that you would, you would make a commitment today and say, Lord, I'm, I'm seeing this. I'm feeling it. And as you lift your hands, I'm speaking to you right now that the Lord is filling you. The Lord is anointing you. You're being sent. Now, here's what I'm asking you to do. Watch and wait. See what the Lord does this week. There will be answers to your prayer this week. You don't have to be Billy Graham. You just have to be you. Your story matters. Would you say that with me? My story matters. Say it one more time. My story matters. Lord, you see our hands. You see our hearts. Holy Spirit. Baptize us afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I have to talk faster in the next service, don't I? Could you hear me this morning? So, we have this amazing volunteer tent out there where you can volunteer for stuff. Maybe that's the first step, all right? And there's a cookie, so hey. God bless you. We'll see you next week.